Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. Kids aren't born with an understanding of how you build and grow wealth. And as a parent, it's our duty to keep them from entering adulthood clueless about the concepts of money. And that's where Bobby Rebell comes in, author of Launching Financial Grownups and host of the critically acclaimed Money Tips for Financial Grownups podcast. She's on a mission to look out for the younger generation so they prosper as they enter the workforce the financial decisions they need to make at each stage of their lives, and the ability to course correct when needed. With her career ranging from news anchor at Reuters to certified financial planner and financial literacy advocate, I'm so looking forward to our conversation with Bobby Rebel. Welcome, Bobby. How are you doing? So excited to finally be here, Jamie. I am a huge fan of you and the podcast. Well, likewise, I'm a fan of your podcast as well. and. Let's just start talking about what financial wellness is and what the difference between financial wellness and financial literacy. So this is one of my favorite questions these days because we hear so much, especially in the media, about financial literacy and how important it is. And it is important. But financial literacy is really just the beginning. It's the learning. It's studying. It's school, right? Financial wellness is life. It is about managing your financial life and figuring out why things matter, how you're going to implement them and get to your goals. It's really about making your dreams come true and finding a way to get there through money management. And it's a really exciting and positive place to be. So I know you started your business that's really focusing on financial wellness. And I just want to know, what made you start it? Why are you so passionate about it? Oh, my goodness. So, you know, a lot of this came from my own setbacks because I have spent so much time having been a business news anchor and having studied and become a certified financial planner. I have spent so much time studying, you know, on paper, basically, (laughs) the nuts and bolts of personal finance. And I, you know, I have a lot of book knowledge, right? Like I said, I studied really hard and I passed the test and I knew all the stuff. But when it came to life, my own life, my friends, my family, I found that it really wasn't that simple. You can know, for example, how a 401k works, But that doesn't mean you're going to actually do the things you're supposed to be doing because you don't always put it in context of your life. So it's making these these dreams real rather than just have this idea on paper that really excited me and also, frankly, frustrated me. And I wanted to find a way not only to motivate myself because so much of my work comes from my own setbacks and challenges, to put it kindly, I'm kind of covering up the uh, um, elephant in the room, my mistakes, because I make many money mistakes that people don't realize but really finding a way to work on my own financial life and then give back to people and help other people come along for the ride with me as well. So what were some of those mistakes you made early on? Oh my goodness, so many mistakes. Uh, Many of them have to do with being a parent because parenting, and this is such an interesting thing to bring up, Jamie, we can say these things on paper, right? And we've all experienced them. You know, you're supposed to not spoil your kids. You should give them allowance and make them work for it. Okay, so... 
I'm going to give my kid allowance because he's going to learn how to have delayed gratification. He's going to learn that he has to do certain jobs in order to be part because he's part of the family and we have these expectations and you work in order to earn money. And I'm going to, he's going to have these great life skills. So we're going to set up an allowance system, right? Jamie, it totally backfired. It was a disaster because I set up a reward for the allowance that he didn't care about, right? So if you say to a kid, well, if you don't, you're going to get I think it was $15 a week in allowance, right? And I set it up in an app and it would be very automatic. And in order to get the allowance, he had to make his bed. He had to go to bed on time. He had to never miss a homework assignment. I mean, I thought the bar was pretty low, right? That's not so hard. Those are like really basic. And the plan was to sort of start upping the ante and upping the allowance, right? So maybe he'd do that. And then six months later or three months later, I would say, okay, now we're going to add this task and this task and this task, whatever it was, or this this responsibility. And we would add more money. And that would be really exciting, like getting a raise at work. And we'd have all these life skills. Well, the problem, Jamie, was that he didn't really care about the, like he didn't, he would rather not make his bed and not get the allowance. Like he just wasn't that, he didn't have anything. He was like, well, what do I need to buy? I have everything I need. So I'm going to, you're letting, yeah, basically I not only (laughs) did it fail, I gave my child permission to not make his bed. I gave him permission, like nothing bad would happen other than him not getting his allowance if he didn't hand in his homework on time. He was actually not bad with that. But things like making the bed and cleaning up after himself, now he had permission basically because he chose not to have the allowance in return for not having to make his bed and do those other chores. So that's a, that's, yeah, so that's just one of so many failures. So it completely backfired. It completely backfired. Yes, exactly. So what did you do? So we got rid of the, I mean, that for that personality, that did not work. What you have to do is figure out something that matters to them and or find a way for them to learn about money in a different way. And and that brings me to the whole idea of financial wellness and also financial therapy, which I'm also a member of the Financial Therapy Association for that reason, because a lot of the behavior that we have about money has to do with how we approach money. It has to do with our money stories, with what what matters to us and what's important and our values. And so in the example of my son, he really didn't value having $15 a week. He valued the freedom to not make his bed. So he made a proactive choice, right? So I had to find something that mattered to him in order to motivate him to do that. So you can do things like, well, you can't play video games if you don't you know, do these things rather than money. He wasn't necessarily, there was nothing he needed to buy. He knew that anything he really needed we were going to get him. We weren't going to not give him food, right? We weren't going to not yeah. give him clothing. But as a teenage boy, he just really didn't, there wasn't really a thing that he wanted to save up for so adamantly. So I had to find other ways to create behavior patterns in my son that weren't necessarily financial. That said, what did interest him, because he's very intellectual, was just learning about money. So he was very interested and he took a course on the stock market this summer. So now he's investing money and learning about that. So you have to find ways to teach people about money that makes sense with their personality and what's going to get them excited and engaged. And that's what I kind of learn when I talk about financial wellness. So do you think a lot of people don't really start getting into money until they need to? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just graduated. What am I going to do? I have this huge student loan. Do you know, like in your 20s and 30s, and all of a sudden I'm on my own, maybe your parents aren't taking care of you anymore. Is, uh-huh. Do you see that as the time? Or I mean, yeah. when do you see people really having that shift and be like, oh, what am I going to do? I really didn't plan for this. 
I love this. Okay. So first of all, unfortunately, you're right. That is often the case. And that is literally, Jamie, why I wrote my book, Launching Financial Grownups, right? Because I want to stop that trend. It does happen so often. And I would love for all of us who are not in the youngest generations, everyone who has people that are, you know, that they are either parents of, grandparents of, aunts, uncles, friends, mentors, whatever, to look out for the younger generation so that that doesn't happen, so that they don't enter adulthood clueless and really behind the eight ball. We want them to be ahead of the game when it starts to really matter. And so it is important at the younger ages to start teaching them in a way that's going to resonate with them. So my son, allowance didn't work. But let me tell you, allowance works great for most kids. It's a wonderful tool if it's used in the right way with kids that are going to have it resonate with them in the proper way, right? My kids have all had jobs. And I think that's been really important that they have had income because they learn how hard it is to actually earn that money. And they respect it so much more. I mean, if you have a kid that loses a retainer, so I will tell you, we almost lost a retainer. And because the kids knew how much it cost, and it was like $250 for each retainer. It was bananas, right? It was a four-pack, Jamie. So another mistake, right? So we did find them, thank God. But when they understood, if you lose the ones that we paid for, you're going to have to pay for that. And that's going to wipe out your savings. They're going to find those retainers, right? So it's really important to make the money real. And if they have a job, so back to my teenager, he had a job briefly as doing deliveries for a local pharmacy. And he realized that at minimum wage, he had to work so hard. I mean, these delivery people in New York, they work so hard. And you know what? He failed at that job. He ended up getting fired because they wanted him to do, they wanted him to do 10 deliveries an hour or something. It was like crazy. And he was like, wait, that's why. Or how's he delivering him? Yeah, it didn't work out. Okay, it did not work out. So, and, it, and I was really relieved as a parent because you really don't want your kid doing that, but it didn't work out. And then now he knows, wait a second, it is so hard to earn money, to earn minimum wage, which I think was, I think he was getting $15 an hour mm-hmm. before he got fired. Um, so you're earning $15 an hour and you are working so hard. And now he's all about, you know, the white collar desk job. He got much more interested in school and studying. Like I said, stock market, much more interesting way to earn money, right? Is, you know, save money, invest it, watch it grow. And you start showing a kid that versus how hard it is to work at a moment. Those jobs are hard. I'm telling you, Jamie, those people work so hard. And it was a really good lesson. And the guy that fired him was like, you know what? This is the first time you're getting fired, but you will never forget it. And it's really true. It is so important to let your kids fail and see life's hard. And if you want to be successful and be financially um, self-sufficient as a financial grown-up, you are going to have to be very intentional and set yourself up for success, ideally at a younger age. And to your question that you asked me earlier, yes, that's not happening enough. And yes, that's why I wrote Launching Financial Grown-Ups, which was my book. Um, that came out um, almost a year ago. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a great book. Thank uh, you. She's a wealth full of knowledge, <laughs> Bobby is. But I wanted to also bring up another book you wrote, uh-huh. and that was How to yes, Be a Financial ha- Grown Up. Yes. Yes, How to Be a Financial Grown Up. And yes. from that, I mean, what do you think inspired you to write that book? And then what did you learn from it? Okay, I love this question because it was actually a very unusual way to come up, up to come up with an idea for a book. I had been working as a business news anchor at um, at Reuters, and I did love that job, but it had been 15 years, and I was kind of looking for something else. And if we're being truly candid, I also wanted something a little bit more family-friendly. 
And I went on something that I now refer to as my mentor tour, where I went to, I called up everyone that I'd ever really known that I thought was smart and might be helpful. And I didn't couch it in, can I buy you coffee and pick your brain? And which, because that sort of rubs a lot of people the wrong way, because it's really like, you know, no, just say what you mean. You, you don't want to catch up as friends and have coffee. You want career advice. So I basically called people and said, I want career advice. Can I come to your office? Will you spend 15 minutes with me? And I did this for about six months and I got the most amazing advice. And one of the people that gave me advice said, you know, if you write a book, you can use that to grow a business, to grow a speaking, a speaking business, to grow consulting business, which is what I've effectively done. But also it's something that will really help you figure out who you are and what you want to give to the world. And she said, what is it that you have that is unique that you can bring? Because there've been infinite, there've been infinite personal finance books. And I said, well, I know a lot of really successful executives and I always chat with them before the interviews about sort of how they got where they were and what their money values were. Because I'm always quest I'm always interested in sort of where they see their financial goals. And I never get too personal, of course, but I, I always, you have to make this chit chat before, you know, while they're putting on the microphones and stuff. And so she had the idea. She said, well, why don't you ask them that and make a book out of that? So How to Be a Financial Grown-Up is a compilation of these mini interviews with these top financial executives explaining sort of, I call it their financial grown-up moment, which is their aha moment when they sort of realize, like my son getting fired from a job that paid minimum wage. Wow it's really hard to earn money, right? That would have been his financial grown-up moment to a large degree. I asked these celebrities, what is your financial grown-up moment? So I have everyone from Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank is on it. Um, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins wrote the foreword. Yeah, um, Cynthia that. Rowley, the fashion designer is on there. Drew Barrymore is in there. So I got these amazing, and she's a big executive. Share Flowers brand is amazing. Drew's an incredible entrepreneur. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, so many incredible people were all so eager. I thought I would have 10. I think I ended up with 25. I mean, it was like, I couldn't believe how many people wanted eagerly to share these financial grown-up moments. And I also asked them the lessons from those, from those stories. So it was really, I'm really proud of the book. You can tell the way I'm talking about it. Maybe I'll do an updated version. Was there one that kind of resonated? Oh gosh, there's so many. I think the Cynthia Rowley one really resonated because so Cynthia Rowley, the fashion designer, talks about how she had this sort of vague idea to do fashion, but she didn't really have a full collection ready. And she had she was on the subway, I think, and I may tell the story not exactly perfectly, but basically she was on the subway and she was wearing her own clothing. And somebody said, oh, you know, who's the designer behind that clothing? And she's like, me. And this person was the buyer for a big department store. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get it wrong. But anyway, big, fancy department store. And they said, oh, you're a designer. I would love to see your work. Can you come by next week? So she had to like put together this like mini collection immediately. And she that's how she got her first like, you know, big sale into a big department store. And so the moral, you know, the sort of lesson from that is you got to always be ready. And when an opportunity comes, if you're not ready, get ready. You know, don't say I'll have it to you in a month. If they say they want it next week, get it to them next week find a way and just be resourceful. And I just love that. She was such an inspiration. Going back from what you just said, how do you teach your children to be ready when it happens? Because I see more and more people nowadays, if they don't know all the details, they, they kind of shy away from the opportunity. Like, especially a lot okay. of younger people, I've noticed, if it's not super easy or they're like, oh, I can't do it. A lot of them won't just jump in 
And how do you train that? I think that's accurate. So first of all, as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, people that just care and have relationships with younger generations and are mentoring them, I think it's really important that we step back and realize that ultimately it's on them. We are stakeholders in their lives, but we have to kind of give them space and not always be there to rescue them, right? So you're probably providing a safety net for them if they're able to not take those risks. So for example, many young people come and move home. That can be really productive, but it has to be for a defined period of time. So my oldest came home for two years, saved up money, then she bought her own place. Whatever you're doing, set guardrails for yourself and make it clear that you expect them to be grownups. You'll be there as a safety net, but you have enough confidence in them that they are competent, that they can make it. Let them know you believe in them because knowing that someone, you know, it's just like when you casually say like, you got this. Even though it might just be a throwaway line, the person hearing that can often be motivated by that more than you may think. And so letting them know that you believe in them is really important, but also taking the safety net back a notch, right? So they feel the need to do it. Because I think what you're just talking about is real. A lot of people won't take the leap to take that job or to do certain things because they're like, they don't, I don't have to. I don't have to. I know that's a lot of work and I'm, you know, I don't know if I want to do that because they're afraid to to make the sacrifice of their right. time even sometimes because they financially really don't need to because they got mom and dad paying the rent at the apartment or they're living at home. <laughs> you know, you've talked to a lot of people and I've talked to a lot of people. It does seem that a lot of people have their greatest big aha moment like that when they're at their financial worst. I completely agree. It's really weird. Like, I think they just talked about John Cena was going eating the free pizza every day that I saw that. Um some huge large pizza, if you ate the whole pizza, you'd get it for free when he was trying to make it in Hollywood. And then some things came about and he changed his path and he went and did wrestling. But where was he? What caused that? He was sitting there eating the pizza for free, not being able to make any money in Los Angeles, doing what he really wanted to do there. I think it was just to be a personal trainer Mm -hmm. and it wasn't working out. But Mm -hmm. so many people, the Robert Kiyosaki and his wife talking to me, you know, they barely had enough money just do their very first video um, cassette tape that they were pre-selling. They didn't even have the money. They actually pre-sold it just so they'd have the money to produce it because that's the, where they were at. And it's so, so amazing to me now that you bring this up when I'm thinking about it. It's brought, when you're at your deepest valley sometimes is when you have your greatest aha moment. And as a parent, if we don't let them get down there, they may not have the light go on for this great new idea or push them to doing something completely amazing. So right now I'm I'm reading a book by Liz Elding. It's called Dream Big and Win. And in this book, and it's it's amazing the story. She she founded a company called Transperfect. And she talks about how she literally had no money. And so she moved in with her boyfriend who was a grad student at NYU and they found a way to like defer their rent till the end of the school year. And they literally started this business from their dorm room you know, all the cliches, like eating ramen noodles and months and months went by and, you know, they're still barely getting sales. And you know, it just was such, I, and, and now, you know, she is, I, I don't know exactly her, she's, she's been, you know, one of the most successful female entrepreneurs out there on the cover of Forbes magazine, right? And one of the wealthiest, most successful self-made women out there, but she really had nothing, Jamie, nothing. And the story is so incredible. And 
it is an example of what you're talking about, where when you are at your lowest financial moments, that is when you get scrappy and you work so hard. And she talks about like people were doing other things and living their lives. And she was just, you know, hunkering down and doing this transperfect business and building it up. So I'm, I'm loving it's Liz Elting's book. Everyone should check it out, put it in the show notes, all the things. And, but she's, she's incredible and an inspiration and a perfect example of what you were saying. Oh, yeah. Just sitting here, I think of all the different people. If you know Susie Orman's backstory, uh-huh. the same's with her. Um, Barbara Cochran. I mean, they're, they just... Oh, my goodness. Can, they're just go... I could go... Actually, we probably could go on and on. And if you really look at people's lives, most of them had that moment where something motivated them because they had hit rock bottom or something happened. And they're like, okay, I got to do something right now. And it exactly. caused this huge shift. Just like your son losing his job. He's like, yeah. hey, I can't do this. This is not right. going to be my path. But right. that was, I talked to other um, CEOs. I wish, I wish I could remember at the, this time who the CEO was. And he told me that with his family, he makes all of his kids have jobs. Uh-huh. Even if they played sports, people were like, oh, my kid plays sports. He doesn't have time. So they had to do it before school. And I think they worked in a laundromat. One worked in a bakery yep. before they even went to school and he made him go do it. Because he said if they didn't learn the value of a dollar and how hard people are working, yeah. They wouldn't have the initiative to go get jobs and do things that would make them money. Yeah. I, I you know totally... a lot of people just say, I, I gotta do what makes me happy. But a lot of people don't realize being financially stable is what's probably going to make you happy. Yes. If you look at the anxiety and things that come from not having money and the depressions that can come into your life. Me personally, I've experienced it. Everyone's experienced it when you're in your 20s and you're barely making it. And you're getting in credit card debt or different things are happening because you've been foolish and you may be overspent. So and you're like, oh, my goodness. And then you start thinking you're not as maybe as valuable as other people and you get stressed. It's really hard. I think that's something that a lot of people face, especially in your 20s and 30s. And even as you get older, because uh-huh. maybe you're maxing out the credit card to provide uh-huh. for your child. Right. Yeah. To give him the best shoes and things. And maybe yeah. it shouldn't be. One of the things that I, I tell parents to talk to their kids about, especially their almost adult kids and part of the whole launching financial grown up philosophy is that you should absolutely follow your passion, but your passion shouldn't necessarily be your income. Sometimes your income should be able to help you afford your passion, right? Because not only may your passion not pay, which is often the case, but also if you make your passion your work, sometimes you lose the passion for it. Right. So it's the classic thing where you have the chef that cooks all day and you would think that person would come home and they'd be whipping up these amazing meals for their family. But very often they don't want to cook because their passion for cooking has become work and it's work and they want to be off from work. So it can sometimes kill your passion when you, for income, follow your passion. Right. So you want to really be careful about that. And what you what you say about stability is no joke. I mean, it's really important. I, it, as we record this, there's a writer strike and an actor strike going on because those careers, which sound so great and for the top whatever percent are, they don't provide stability. And that's what a lot of these people are trying to get. And it's a really tough thing when you have an industry that's structured that way versus an industry like finance where, sure, you could get laid off, but you will probably have a job that has a reasonable amount of financial consistency. So it's it's tough when you're when you know as a parent when you're you're talking to kids about a lot of kids just went to college right now about what their career path will be. Um, one thing I do talk about, and it actually frames the book finance, launching financial grownups, is the importance of helping your child 
choose a career path that will provide the ability to be a financial grown-up and how our oldest, who wrote an epilogue to the book, which is the highlight for everybody, she actually switched majors in college because she decided that she wanted to just have more money. And so she did something that she's come to love and come to enjoy. She's a cybersecurity consultant, but she had wanted to be a teacher originally. And she realized that unfortunately in this country, teaching is not going to pay as much as being a cybersecurity consultant. So she may at some point in the future, right now she's pretty busy, maybe in the future she'll do some volunteer teaching, which is her passion. But for income, she looked at what is the best use of her skill set to earn the most money so that she could do the things she loves to do. And she's having a great time. She's traveling. She owns her own apartment. She can eat out when she wants. And she's saving all that she's supposed to be saving in the 401k. I know she maxes it out. So that career choice allowed her to do that. And as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, mentors, as I said, we should really be talking, taking an active role in helping the next generation uh, make smart choices. Tell me what your best tips are or even tips you've heard when it comes to saving money like 20s and 30s, 30s, 40s, 40s, 50s, and then even maybe in retirement when it comes to saving your money. So I think it's about mindset. And this goes to moving away from financial literacy back to financial wellness strategies, aka, you know, what my company does, um, and really think about what is going on in your life. So most likely, the life stage you're in in your 20s and 30s, you can afford to be selfish and you can hoard money. So this is the time to, you know, to know that no one is going to suffer if you make a choice to spend money on yourself. And by spend money, I mean, save it, keep it, invest it. Um, and and you, I don't remember whether you said save or invest. You do want to save money. It's more important, though, to make sure that you are investing the money, just not putting it in just a savings account. Make sure it's invested somewhere smart that makes sense for you. Higher tolerance for risk because you're younger, of course. But remember, in this life stage, it is all you. So Sock away as much money as possible because you are in control. You can decide not to buy that cute outfit, whatever it is, or to earn more money, stay for the overtime pay, whatever it is. Middle of life, let's say a little bit older, um, late 30s, 40s, you might be having a family. Tougher because now you have dependents, as you mentioned, right? The kids have come, the kid needs braces. You can choose in between, you know, saving in the 529 for their college or they're paying for their braces, which they need. It's kind of tricky. So you have to make some tough choices. So the important thing here is to remember, these are probably leading up to, if not your peak earning years. So make sure that when you get those raises, that's kind of money that you can switch over to investing. That's kind of a mindset move that can help you motivate to stay investing and stay savings, even though your costs are probably pretty high relative to when you were younger and really focus on being strategic in those investments. They will start to show higher balances. So compound investing tricky at first because you don't see a lot of results. But as the balances get bigger, that's where the magic starts to happen. So sometimes checking in and actually looking at the balances can be a motivator. I have found that. And then as you move into your 50s and 60s, you're kind of getting towards that retirement. So you really want to be, I think, meeting with professionals if you haven't been already and making sure that things are lining up the way that you want them to based on your goals. And obviously in retirement, you want to be set up for success in that you want to create income streams for whatever lifespan you're going to map map out. And I hate retirement's hard, Jamie. I get a little, you know, scared because it seems so, I don't know, it's, it's scary retirement, even for me. And I think that goes to the point that money isn't just numbers. It's also emotional and it's also about our relationships and stuff. But when you, back to the point, when you get to, re- to thinking about retirement, make sure you have those income streams set up, make sure you have financial safety nets, make sure you understand what your costs are and 
make some choices. If you're not where you are, where you want it to be when it comes to your savings as you get into retirement, you need to course correct and you need to have those tough conversations with yourself and other stakeholders in your life so that you don't run out of money. And that may be some tough choices, but it may also be some really fun choices. So just be honest with yourself and don't be in denial. Wherever you are, you'll make it work. Um, I remember I just said the term course correction. That actually, that actually came from an executive that I interviewed in my TV days when I said, but, you know, everyone puts out these big numbers that we need for retirement. What if you don't have that number and yeah, you are that age? I always wonder that. So, so what exactly happens then, right? What if you're forced to retire earlier than you expect and you don't have that number? And she was awesome. She just looked at me. She's like, you're going to course correct. Tough. Figure it out. And you will. You know, that's a little, she gave me a little tough love. But Jamie, that's the truth of it. Like we do, look, we have social security. Most of us have some kind of a 401k, IRA and so on. And hopefully we have good old fashioned investment funds and brokerage accounts or whatever. Maybe we have equity in a home. Figure it out. Downsize your life. And live with it. You know, don't be in denial and, you know, keep the big home that you raised your kids in, in the high income, high tax bracket, high real estate tax district, whatever it is, with all that overhead and the big air conditioning bills or the big heating bills and the, all the things. Just, you know, right size it to your life and you'd be surprised how much further your money will go. And you may want to do that even if you aren't tight on money. But as this executive told me, you know, just course correct, it's going to be fine. We get a lot of marketing messages from companies that are eager to help us manage our money, many of which are excellent, okay? So I'm not putting them down, but the marketing messages with the Adirondack chairs looking off into the distance, you know, yes. with your love of your life and everything's so amazing. Um, first of all, Adirondack chairs aren't that expensive and you can go to a park, okay, first of all. So don't worry about that. You can do that if you really want to look like the ad for all those financial companies. But the truth is, you're going to figure it out. You're going to have family and friends. Hopefully, maybe you own real estate. Whatever it is, you'll figure it out. You don't have to live up to somebody else's dream. Dream your own dream. I think you're right. I think we all yeah. think we have to be traveling the world and living like the advertisement. But we don't. No. Oh, my gosh. Most people are happiest if they just are with family and friends, live near them, and they are financially comfortable. And you know what? The truth is, once you get past the sort of this bulge in the middle of life when you have kids and, and sort of a lot of these expenses that you, if you have kids, I should say, that you can't, you know, they aren't really optional. Like I joked about braces because that was really a painful phase of my life when I had three kids who all needed orthodonture. Many parents can relate to that. You don't have these adamant things. You don't have college tuition to think about. You know, you get past that and everything is optional. Like everything's kind of discretionary. You don't have to live in a certain location, city, you can live in a different place. You can live in a different house, you know, a condo instead of a house or whatever it is, you know, course correct. It's not that big deal. The most important thing is that you take care of your health and that you're with people that you love and that care about you and that you can do the things that matter most to you and all this other stuff in the ads, whatever, it's fine. It's no one needs to travel the world. I mean, if you want to put on a backpack like you would have if you were 17, that's okay too, right? But nobody needs to get on these ridiculous luxury, you know, ventures around the world. We really value what, what I think most of us value, speaking for myself, is being with our friends and family and just having enough financial security that we know that we're going to be okay and live our best lives. I think that's for every age in a way. Yeah. yeah all you really want is to be healthy and to be able to just have those simple things in your life. I think the yeah. world and the media 
constantly tells us that we need more at, in order to be happy. Yeah. When in reality, we don't. It's the having that financial security that ultimately will bring you that most happiness. And exactly. I think if you can teach that to yourself uh-huh. and then teach that to your children, I think that would be a huge blessing in their life to l- let them know and to let yourself know that you don't have to have all these things in order to be happy. It is more uh-huh. important that you have the financial security that if something uh-huh. happened tomorrow, that I could pay my bills. Exactly. You know, because I yep. think, you know, you have people that I am, I hate to say, but they commit suicide. I've known personally yeah. because their family was in financial troubles and the dad just uh-huh. couldn't handle that stress of letting his family down. There's so much pressure put on that uh-huh. that a lot of people suffer mentally over it. And I think it's something that needs to change. And pe- more people need to be thinking, like you said, you know, you can course correct. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. downsize. It's okay. Those yeah. things don't make you valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we think. We think if we got Gucci on, we got Chanel on, that somehow we're we're more valuable. No. When and, in reality, and, it does need to come from the inside. Yeah. I, I could not agree more, Jamie. I think you you said it so well. And I think that's what we tell our children when we say, hey, I want this, mom. We should say, you don't need that. It's yeah. just a want, you know, yes. it's not going to make you play any better wearing those expensive shoes, chances are, than the other ones. But maybe it does because it gives you confidence. And I think mm-hmm. that's what happens a lot of the time that certain things give us confidence. And so we purchase them and they can put a very higher the price tag, somehow the more confidence these objects yeah. seem to give us. Oh, it's but true. It's, but I think it's this false sense of confidence. You bring up an interesting point because what you're sort of alluding to also is this sort of underlying financial peer pressure that goes on. Yes. And this happens a lot with teenagers, especially because they're most sensitive to it. But if we're being honest, it happens at all ages. I mean, I all have been ages. to buy, you know, the little purse to fit in with everybody. We've all been guilty of some version oh, of yeah. that or human, which is, again, goes to the idea of financial wellness, not just learning on paper. On paper, we know, of course, you shouldn't buy the fancy purse, but then yeah. we do. Why? Because, well, everybody has that and we don't know what else to wear. So we kind of buy something similar to what everybody else has. But there is a way to actually, one technique that I do teach and I, and I, and it's worked with my, my teenage daughter. Now she's in her twenties, I should say. But when she was sort of going through the thick of that is, you know, instead of saying, letting somebody else, for example, pick where everybody's going out to eat or whatever, um, say, I'll make the reservation or I'll make the plant. And then you pick a plan that is, you pick a place to go with your friends that is more affordable. Or you say, you say, I feel that's too expensive when someone picks that. I mean, you know what? Your friends that may, maybe one person of the group has infinite money because they're like a trust fund kid. But let me tell you, the other people are going to thank you for cutting the budget. And that happens, you know, because one person will make the plans and sometimes they're well-intentioned. They have no idea that the other people, that's a stretch and that's not necessarily where they want to spend their money. A lot of times we spend money because other people tell us to indirectly. Because yes. they made a dinner reservation or they invited us to something. Oh, the tickets are X dollars. You know, you can Venmo me. Great. But like now I just spent $200 on tickets to something I didn't really want to go to. When I really just wanted to hang out with you, we could have walked in the park. Right. And by the way, my super successful friend, Liz Elting, that I mentioned her book earlier, you know what we do? We walk in the park. And it's not because either of us necessarily need to not spend money on the food, but we just want to be with each other. Right. So that's what we do. So this is what, you know, someone with a ton of money 
she loves to walk in the park with me and I love to walk in the park with her and we're great friends and it costs zero. And that's not why we do it. We do it because we want to spend time with each other. And that's an important thing to remember is if you're getting together with a group of friends because you want to spend time with them, see if you can remove the money from that experience. You don't have to go out to a fancy restaurant. You could all, you know, gather wherever, you know, in the park or at somebody's apartment. And then maybe if you want to go out, you go out for drinks somewhere or to a different restaurant or whatever it is, but you can modify the plans so that they fit everyone's budget. And it's okay to have an open conversation or say, hey, you know, this one friend it just got socked with all the student loan payments. Let's go somewhere that fits their budget. And people feel so relieved because that person might be the one that you're calling out. But let me tell you, everyone's happy to save the money. So say it, be the one to speak up and people will be so appreciative. What people would be surprised of is a lot of people uh-huh. who have a lot of money are very tight with their money. You know, yeah. somehow we, the media has told us that people with money spend a lot of money and they do all these things. Not true. Like you said, no. she's walking in the park. Walking you know, in the park. They, right, they don't always do those things. Right. And that's probably why they have money. Yeah. Someone well, told them she to earned save. it and she's very right. philanthropic. But oh, but, yeah. yeah. But we know But I'm saying. There's other people like I have yeah. had family and things that the reason they had generation wealth and money was because they mm-hmm. were tight with their money. They yes. were never throwing their money out. Yes. They were investing and they were doing things yes. that they at the time didn't have to do, but they did that because mm-hmm. they were thinking long term. I would say mindful with their money rather than tight because tight oh, might imply say, that they're cheap. They're not. Oh, yeah. Okay, cheap, we'll say mindful. I guess we, maybe intentional. Know. Could we say intentional, Jamie? Oh, we'll say intentional. intentional? Okay. We say intentional? Thank you, Bobby. Yeah. We don't want it. They're not all tight wads. You know, they're, they're not tight wads. My last question I want to ask you is the one I ask everyone, and that is, what does living richer mean to you? It means living a, a, a life of financial wellness, which is being deliberate and intentional with the, with the decisions that you make about money. And not just reading the book and learning it and being book smart about money. It means learning to really implement it and make decisions that make sense with your goals and the kind of life that you want to lead with the people that you care about. I really like that. I know that I'm... I am known to read the book, but not always um, apply the book and do all the things that I hear and know to do. And I think if I want to live a richer life, even for myself and everyone out there, we need to actually start applying those things into our own lives so that we can live the rich life that we want to live and have that peace we all strive for. Thanks again, Bobby, for coming on the show. You're a wealth full of knowledge and you inspired me to even be a better mom. I, on oh. a lot of ways, I know that, you know, being a working mom is very hard. And a lot of women, no matter if you're in your, tw- you could be in your teens, even uh-huh. all the way up, you are, there's a lot of working moms who are out there suffering and trying to make it happen and try to raise a whole little human here and trying to make them successful. And your book really helps with that. And just the things you taught us today, what's super inspiring for me to realize don't get discouraged that my kid doesn't really care about the allowance and I think that's a huge deal that a lot of us have faced and to realize there's other ways we can teach our kids about money yeah so that they can be successful and yeah it, you know it's like the mom that's like oh my my kid sleeps I don't know why it's so hard for you it's like my kid I, I do allowance and they it works perfectly because it's delayed gratification it should you know why what's wrong with it no every kid's different every kid is different and yeah, everyone I think that's what these, I love about it yeah I mean, things are going to work for one, even within your own family. What works for one kid may not work for another. And we just beat ourselves up. I do it all the time. I get very upset. I was upset this morning about something with my kid. 
um, that I felt I did wrong. And and he was like, mom, you're a great mom. Don't worry about it. I'm good. You know, so, you know, just know that you, your kids love you and you're doing the best you can. And it's probably amazing. And you're going to have the kids that grow up to be incredible financial grownups and really impress you and maybe take care of you down the road and teach you so many lessons. So, like I said, my my stepdaughter, Ashley, um, who's featured in Launching Financial Grownups, wrote the epilogue and I learned some money tips from her. So if anyone picks up my book, read the epilogue first. It's got the best stuff from Ashley, which I resisted. Good mom. Good mom. So choice. hard, though. So hard to <laughs> it's so hard to let go. I have that inner helicopter mom in me and I'm fighting it every day, Jamie. We all are. We yes. all are, Bobby. Well, thanks again. And everybody, I just want to remind you to live richer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at livericherpod at gobankingrates.com.